Good morning, church. My name is Kelsey Park, and I'm a deaconess and also a member of the East Charlotte community group. Um, and I'm going to be reading from Acts 4 today. Um, Acts 4, 23 through verse 31. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, for those of you who are guests this morning, uh, my name is Omari Hill. I am a visiting pastor with our fellowship here. And I just want to praise God again, as we've already been doing for the testimony that we heard from the Reeds. Um, I remember when Jenna was single, and she had given so many years of her life to so many other children in another country, and to see God deliver her own child is amazing. Um, and and the, the fact that you guys named him Benjamin is wonderful. Uh, that means son on my right hand, right? And if you read the scriptures, you know that the right hand is the place of strength. Jesus himself, when he rose from the grave, it tells us, the Bible tells us that he is seated at the right hand of God. And so what I heard this morning from our friends, our family, the Reeds, is that they were like Paul who who pleaded and, and said, say, God, won't you take this thing away from me? This is too hard to bear. And God said, what? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And we heard and we witnessed God making his power perfect in the weakness of our brother and sister this morning. And I just want to praise God again for that wonderful testimony. Amen. You know, believers have a lot of callings, things that we are, um, that the Lord enables us to do in this life, and it takes many forms. Uh, for some of us, we, well, all of us are called to be a, a child or a daughter of someone. Some of us are called to be parents. Others may be a, a sister or a brother to someone, a cousin. And of course, when we think of calling, we also think about uh, the places where we might work. And I think also that uh, it's calling with regard to work is, 
it definitely has to deal with a particular place with which you work, but also may be about the kind of worker that you are, right? Um, which is something that you may be able to do in several places. But the scriptures tell us that there is a primary call for believers, and that call is to love God and to love neighbor as Jesus does. And I would add to neighbor God's good creation as well, that we are called to love the Lord and everything that he has made just as Jesus loves. And that's not an easy thing, right, to take up where Adam and Eve left off. That is our call. Christians are called to bear witness to the life of Jesus, both in proclamation and demonstration, word and deed, doctrine and lifestyle. We're to demonstrate this good news, both in holiness and in righteousness. We are to lead lives of repentance that uh, are seeking to redeem the broken things that are in this world, not only in our personal world, but also in the world around us. So we bear witness, then, to the resurrection. We bear witness to the new life that the Spirit gives to those who trust in Jesus. And it's never easy because there's opposition. We know this, right? There's struggles that, that we come against, struggles that are inside of us, but also struggles that are around us. And so today's text that you heard from our deaconess is uh, more about uh, the opposition that we receive from the outside. When you look at the story of Peter and John, who were two of Jesus' closest friends while he walked on the earth, they were apostles. And the text that you heard this morning was where these, these two men, that they healed a man who was presumably in his 40s, right? So he's in his midlife years, and some of you, like me, middle-aged, you, you know, you're like, amen, you know, I have some, sometimes I have trouble walking from time to time, you know, need to do some exercise. But, uh, but, but this man had not walked since birth, and Peter and John healed him. They had witnessed a miracle according to the power of God's Messiah. According to the power of Christ at work in them and through them, this man was refreshed by the Lord's forgiveness and he was prepared for the new world which is to come. And, as you saw in this text, the religious and the political leaders were not happy about that. They assumed that Peter and John were just like other followers of, you know, false messiahs. That these were men who were just ready to cause trouble. Right? They're, they're rabble-rousers. Um, they're disturbing the peace. And so Peter and John were charged with that, uh, with, with that very thing. Uh, they were arrested. Uh, and remember at this time also that uh, the, the place of this text is in Judea, but Judea is underneath Roman rule. And so uh, the local authorities would have had an incentive to sort of clamp down on anything that was sort of getting out of control. Right? They had to keep their constituents under control because if they didn't, then the imperial army, the army of the emperor, the armies of Rome, would then have to come in and take things into their own hands. And the local authorities didn't want that, right? It was if they took things into their own hands, they, would take the, they might take the power away from the local authorities or even worse. So the status quo was at stake. And as some of you have learned the hard way, when you challenge the status quo, others will try to handle you, right? How many of you know that when you disturb the status quo, Things are not always going to go easy for you. So Peter and John fit the description, as it were, and they put their hands up, and then what happened? 
The priests and the Sadducees demanded that Peter and John no longer speak about Jesus Christ or his resurrection. Right? And sometimes, sometimes, y'all can identify with Peter and John here, sometimes you know that you may have a proposal for your company that could prevent you from taking advantage of the disadvantage or prevent your company from wasting money and others will try to muzzle you. Sometimes, ladies, when you exercise your God-given talents as a woman, the good old boy club may try to, may see you as too aggressive, try to muzzle you, right? When you're challenging the status quo and trying to bring life into the broken places always uh, attracts opposition. There will be others who will try to muzzle you. One doesn't need to be religious in order to encounter these kinds of obstacles, right? To pursue righteousness and peace at your workplace or uh, in your home, right? Nor are hostile opposition and microaggressions something that only happens to those who believe in the supernatural. Yet, if we hope, Christ Central, as we say in our vision statement, to be a people who free God, who free others to hear God's truth by our witness, then we have to pay attention to these particular apostles. They were persecuted, get this, they were persecuted by their own people. And this is, a, this, this is amazing to me, but, and yet by the end of the text, they're going forward in boldness, right, and in love. How do we become people like that? How do we become people who um, are committed to our highest aims of our calling instead of being deformed by fear or bitterness when we encounter obstacles? Okay, and for the Christian, one of the greatest doctrines right, that, has, uh, that has helped us over the years, that has helped our people uh, to get through all kinds of discomfort and even heard in the testimony this morning is belief in the sovereignty of God. Hey, that, is, that has been a core doctrine, a core belief that has gotten us through some really tough times. And we see that word in this text, right? And when they pray to the sovereign Lord, and the word sovereign comes from the same word, actually, that we use for a dictator, a despot, right? And so we know that a dictator wields absolute control, at least they try to, um, over his or her realm. And Christians actually trust that God is a dictator, but a benevolent one. That he's a benevolent dictator, a benevolent sovereign. So whenever a Christian encounters opposition to spreading the good news or doing what Christ has called us to do, or even microaggressions against actions that we try to perform that are in conformity with the character of God, then they take comfort in the fact that God's purposes will inevitably come to pass. God will do what he said he will do. He's able, right? So uh, as you see uh, throughout the book of, of, a book of Acts, not just this text, um, the apostles attract even more persecution, sometimes wrongful execution. And yet they still manage to be bold and loving people, bearing witness to the saving rule, the saving sovereign rule of Jesus Christ. But it's not this doctrine of the sovereignty of our Lord and sovereignty of Jesus alone that made them this way. There's something else at work here that you'll miss if you read this text a little too quickly. And what is that thing? It is this. Look at verse 23. Verse 23, it says, 
Let me get to it here in my own book. Ah, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Right? So when Peter and John were released after being harassed for proclaiming the gospel right, and healing a man, what did they do? They went to their friends. They went to friends, spiritual friends, as it were. Not constituents, not clients, not stakeholders, or even colleagues. But the apostles needed friends. Friendship, y'all. I'm talking about friendship. Friendship is so important in our day. It was not that long ago when we were all struggling with a pandemic, right? And we, I just even was just reminded this morning that there's some rising numbers for uh, COVID-19 right now. But as we were go going through that, we, we knew that we were, um, it took us a, a little bit to realize that we were in the mid middle of a pandemic, something that our society and our world had not faced in, in quite some time, right? But then in the middle of that pandemic, something, something else, some other struggle, as it were, was revealed. That struggle was loneliness. Loneliness was revealed. We need friends, right? God's reviving, transforming work through friendship. And as that council of prophets, as y'all know, y'all know them as Houdini, they once asked friends how many of us have them, right? And, and you know, but, but it's not just about how many friends you have, but the quality of those friends. And what kind of people do you, have you surrounded yourself with? What kind of people can you lean on when things get tough? Do you have spiritual friends? And uh, how do you know that you have friends who will help you through hell and high water to become deeply loving and bold people shaken by the power of God's spirit? to bear witness then to the saving rule of Jesus in the world and for the world. And so I want to suggest to you this morning, many things we can say about spiritual friendship. The Bible says a ton. Um, but uh, for our purposes this morning, because we want to get out of here on time, we've got one text before you and just a couple of things that I want to point out to you. You want to seek out friends who know something of the following things, just three things, God's identity, God's will, and God's heart. Friends who know something of God's identity, God's will, and also his heart. So what about his identity? Well, when the apostles got together with the other believers, their friends, it says that they lifted their voices, confessing God as this benevolent ruler who created and sustains all things. They recognized that there's this real distinction between us and God. We are the creatures. He is the creator, right? That's a, so the, right there, they affirm something about the identity of God. Do you have friends that have kind of gotten things confused, right? you know, that, that we're in control down here and it's not about God, you know, each of us can become Black Adam or Superman or whatever. It's just, no, you know, or, or, or is God who he says he is? Is God God and are we human beings. So they recognize this real distinction between the creator and the creature. And many will say that the burden of, of proof is on Christians to sort of empirically prove the existence of a creator who is out there. But what the scriptures confess, if you 
claim to believe in the scriptures, to be a biblical Christian, right? It's to affirm that the scriptures confess that God is the ground of all being. Um, my old mentor and pastor, uh, Tim Keller, in his book, Making Sense of God, said the following, all things that have being depend on God, moment by moment for it. Without God, nothing would exist at all, right? Those who do not believe in God, by contrast, think that the material objects exist on their own, right? That's important, right? And it's the one thing you kind of think about, like, okay, do I have uh, friends around me who just sort of think, like, everything just sort of depends on itself, right? Uh, I need to lean on me, right? And, and nobody in this world going to get me through this but me. I lean on myself. Um, everything else just sort of exists on its own. Well, this, this would mean that what, what, what what, what Keller is saying here and what the scriptures say is that, that God is not a physical object who is in the world that is, uh, needs to be discovered and examined. He's the holy other. He is outside of this world. Even as we, even as we uh, uh, proclaim and affirm that he is active in history and that he is with us and is near to us as our very breath, in the same way, God is distinct from everything that he has made. He is wholly other. There is none like him. No one like him. Nothing like our God. Right? And, and so, uh, uh, you know, who can know anything about someone who is so distinct from everything else that exists? But, uh, but it's so uh, same as we confess the holiness of God and the separateness of uh, that in his distinction from the rest of the world, we also confess that the scriptures, God's word itself tells us, is that, um, that God speaks to us, right? That he speaks to us in a way that we understand. Right? Even in this prayer, that the believers prayed around Peter and John, they said, through the mouth of our father David, right? You did these following things. And then, and then they say, by the Holy Spirit. So they're affirming that the spirit of God used another human being to communicate something to his people. God speaks to us in a way that we can understand. God wants to reveal himself to us. So already we're seeing that, you know, who is our God? He is the creator. He is the sustainer of the world. But he, and he also reveals himself to us. Right? That, that is who God is. And this is where friendship comes in. This is where friendship matters. Because if the material world exists on its own, then friends who insist that you stick to your moral obligations, things that you, you, you're going up against stuff in your home, at your workplace, in these streets, you know, you're encountering all kinds of stuff, they're like, stick to your moral obligations, stick to it. Right? But if they insist that the material world exists on its own, they, but they just want you to do what's right and stick to your gut, they're fooling themselves. And they're fooling you. There's no basis for your moral obligations. If God is just, just one of us, right? What they should tell you to do is play the game. Figure out the system. Learn how to beat it, right? Rise above. Uh, um, you know, try to make it to the top like everybody else. You know, do you. That should be the philosophy. And it is a philosophy for so many, right? But when you're, when you're committed to providing an education that promises social equity, but you're contemplating 
therapy for yourself because of the PTSD that you're experiencing in those workplaces, in the schools, right? I mean, because, goodness, those same students that you're serving, they're suffering too. And then you don't know what to do with the, the, the trauma, right? How do you stick to it? But you need a friend who knows that God is your life. You don't need somebody who's going to tell you, to just do you, stick to it. You know, hang in there. You know, you, you know love is love. Those kids, you know, they, they just, they just kind of need you. Just hang in there for them. Why? Why? Why do I need to hang in there for those kids? This is hurting me. I'm not, I'm not staying this, right? I need to do me. When you're committed to creating art that bears witness to God's beauty in a marginalized community, but you contemplate that what um, trying to hold on to this part-time job in the middle of housing costs that are going up and down, up and down. How do you remain committed to that cause, knowing what it will cost you? If, if the material world is all that there is, you need friends who are going to be there to support you, who know that the source of life, God himself, will sustain you and that he will lead you with his word so that you can stay the course, right? I mean, and friends who know something about the identity of God. I mean, now, I don't know all the, the details about some of the, the spirituality and the story I'm about to share, but um, before you see a painting, this is a painting by Henry Osawa Turner. Some of you know that name. Um, African-American painter in the late 19th century, uh, in early 20th. Uh, he was, um, as you can imagine, I mean, as you can see, he's really gifted. Right? And this was a, a sketch that he did of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Now, he was, had come up in Philadelphia, right? And y'all know what it was like at that time, right, around this country, how the social caste system works, right, and particularly for African Americans. So, hey, look. Like, you want to go to school and you want to study art? Good luck with that, you know? I mean, maybe you might have to go into carpentry or something and, you know, stuff like that. Just kind of, you know, stick to that. And, it's, you know, and the crazy thing, even as I say that, is, wow, how is it that, I mean, there's, there's, this, there's a social caste system that relegates people to particular trades, and not only um, does it, does it do a disservice to the people who are being pushed into those trades, but it does a disservice to the trade itself, right? Because then it makes like carpentry and plumbing, all these different things just look like, well, that's just stuff for lower people, right? And this is causing a crisis. It's just an aside. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm just going, but this is just some, this is calling a crisis also for some of our young people because they're coming out, of, coming out of high school and they're going, well, I don't know if I should go into a trade because that, that feels like that's something that's for lower class folk and whatever. I can't really... You know, so I need to aim for all that stuff. And so they're plagued with all kinds of anxiety because they're thinking, like, now i got to get straight A's and get all these kinds of scholarships and such so I could be, you know, so I can get the, the worthy occupations and not get into these different things, you know, so, because that, that's really for, 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 uh, for people who are brown skin and, and all kinds of folk, you know, that's what they do. Or, or, the, or the folk who live out in the country and, and you know, dealing with the meth labs and whatnot in their, in their backyards. And whatnot. That's what they do. I don't, I don't do that. But we need, we need to, a change needs to come. We need a, we need a revival uh, that, that affects uh, 
the way that we see one another as human beings so that it will change the way that we see these different traits. But for this brother, he had a friend, somebody who saw his potential, and not only his potential, but saw that, hey, he's, he's, this guy's got something that the world needs. And so he funded him, his friend funded him, his friend funded him so that he could leave America and go to Europe. And, and for many African-Americans uh, like himself and others over the years, they found uh, incredible freedom overseas, right? But coming underneath the, the shadow of Jim Crow, they were like, man, I've got all kinds of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being treated a lot differently and I can, I can, I can use the things that I have and, and, and others will celebrate what I have for, and, and celebrate the things that are coming from my hands and not, and not, and not go, oh, we, 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 can't, uh, we can't support that because of the color of your skin. Right? He, he had friends that were, that were there for him and helped him to remain committed to the things that God had placed within his heart. You and I need those kinds of friends, spiritual friends, people who know about the identity of God and who will stick with us and help us to stay the course even when we incur obstacles and oppositions. So that's God's identity. But then secondly, there's, there's about, there's, what about the will of God? What about God's will? I mean, you know, we need friends like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said, who was convinced that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Right? He knew something about the will of God. What God was, what God's plan is, what he's doing in the world and for the world. So Peter and, and John's friends, they, they quote the psalm, which speaks of the persecution of Israel and its king many years before Jesus even appears on the scene. Right? They quote it and they said, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? See, they, they were convinced that Jesus had been anointed by God to become king over his people. They knew God's plan. They, they were convinced of God's will, what he was doing in history. But, is, but his people, uh, uh, you know, but like Jesus' own people, along with the Gentiles, persecuted him. Why? Well, the answer is what, what the, the believers say there in verse 28. They said, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. Well, who's the your that, that they're talking about? They're talking about God. Right, that, that this had happened, that uh, these, Jesus himself had been persecuted, that all these things that happened, and that Jesus had been persecuted by the hands of both Jew and Gentile to do whatever God's hand and his plan had predestined to take place. Jesus went to the grave, and he conquered death through his death so that we could have life in his name according to the Father's will. This is all part of God's plan from the very beginning. God was not shocked by what happened to his son. He planned it, and he planned it for your deliverance and for mine. We, along with those who stood against Jesus, deserve to be left to fend for ourselves under death's tyranny because of our unwillingness to serve God in his way. But God had already worked it out so that our rebellion against Jesus would actually lead to our liberation. Think about that. Right? God is Lord over history, and he causes all things to work toward the good of those that love him. 
None other than the suffering that, that happens in the life of a believer will happen in vain. We may not know what can come out of it now, but we may know in the life to come. Nothing is, let me put it this way, make it plain, nothing is wasted in the life of the believer. Nothing is wasted. It may be hard. It may be really hard. But God does not waste anything in the life of those he loves. He is causing all things to work toward the good of those that love him. And sometimes you may feel locked up because you live in a city, and I'm speaking uh, mainly to uh, my single friends in here, right, and not just younger singles, right, widows, divorce, all of you single, right? Sometimes you feel locked up because you live in a city where swinging and hooking up are acceptable. You've got to spend one more night staying pure because you love Jesus. That's hard. Meanwhile, deep down, you're wondering if your best friend will abandon you as soon as he or she finds a spouse. And they will leave you um, as if they've had enough of your weaknesses. Just discard you. Like, I'm done. It shouldn't be that way. Right? But we're, we're tempted to stop bearing witness and to just give up. This is just too hard. But in these situations, you need friends who will not say you only live once, right? But who will remind you that God is literally moving every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every month, every year to vindicate those who trust in him. Think about that. God is doing that for you. Who am I that God should move all of history so that everything, all things work out for my good? My God. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, friends, and this is what you need to Isn't it awesome when you have friends who come alongside you? And again, I mean, I love the, the testimony this morning. Just, uh, you know, like, I mean, to hear, like, Tim and, and Jenna, like, sort of, like, uh, uh, encouraging one another. Like, hey, God's got us, right? He's still in control. This is hard. It's scary. We're anxious. Like, we're not hiding that, right? It's like, we're human beings. Of course we're going to be scared. Of course we're going to be anxious. We don't know what's going on, but God's with us. God's, like, he, he loves us. So somehow, I don't know what he's going to do. I have no idea what it is. I can't tell you. I'm not a prophet. I don't have it written down, but God will work it out. God is at work, and you need friends who are there with you in the tough times. Right, to remind you of the will of God, that he has a plan. Even if we don't know what the specifics are, God is at work. So not only do we need friends who know something of God's identity, we need friends who know something about his will. And last of all, we also need to know, have friends who know something of God's heart, don't we? His heart. Look again at verse 29. Uh, this is my favorite part of the prayer for these friends, from these friends. It says, and, and now, Lord, look upon these threats, right? And then they're like, look, look, look on this. Look, Jesus, you see what they're doing to the ones that you love, the ones that walked with you, the ones that 
cried with you, the ones that were fishers of men along with you. And this isn't just anybody, God. This is Peter and John. Like, these are your boys. Like, do you see this? Do you see what's happening? Look upon their threats, God. Oh, God of all creation, sustainer of all life, eminent ruler over history and peace and justice. God, do your worst. No, that's not what they said, right? right? Like, look, check this out. When you and I have been passed over for that promotion, when we've been mocked or marginalized or violated or betrayed, you will be tempted to take revenge. When you commit to a multi-ethnic, multicultural church and you're making several sacrifices for not only for yourself but for your family just to be here, and then you still feel ignored and mocked and marginalized and violated or betrayed, you will be tempted to take revenge. You'll be ready to abandon what, uh, what, what Miss uh, uh, First Lady Obama, former First Lady Obama said when she advised, she said, take the high road, right? You'll be ready to abandon that. If you have no authority above feelings and culture and reason or natural order, then you have no real moral obligation to take the high road, right? But instead of answering threats with threats, Peter and John and their friends asked for boldness to proclaim the liberating message of Christ's kingdom that many, including their enemies, would be healed and revived in the name of God. That's countercultural, y'all. That doesn't happen. That's not natural. Who does that? I mean, if you've been on social media lately, I don't have to preach that to y'all, you know. Right? I mean, when, when, when people come against you like that, you're like, man, I got something for them. You know? Y'all might like, like you, you, you're about to see this smoke. Like, you know, just like, but wait, you know, that's well, look, what they do, what they do when they pray for their enemies in this way, what's going on here? It's love. It's love. Right? It's a love that established, and it's the same love that established this very community. The church, the, the love of God in Christ Jesus, right? It's a prayer that's coming from friends who know something of a God who cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the kind of love that they know. They knew God's heart for a world that makes decisions and builds systems and structures that, that are against God's ways. And, and, but I don't want you to miss the second part of this prayer because it's key. For there will be times when, as a Christian, you will encounter different moods and policies and environments that don't match the heart of God. Right? You know, we know that. And you, you won't be able to trace the source to a particular person or even a group. It's, there are structures and institutions that just feel hostile toward and dismissive even of the Lord and will frustrate you. And as uh, as they take things that are beautiful and good and right and distort them, right? When, when, when some protectors of society become the judge and jury and execution of the disenfranchised, what do we do about that? When, when, when pop music and R&B or whatever it might be becomes a temple of sensual pleasure and a distorter of manhood, what do we do? When fashion itself, which is supposed to be this amazing thing, it's beautiful, becomes a culprit in misogyny, 
in self-hatred, right? Y'all heard that song about Victoria's Secret? I know Victoria's Secret. Some of y'all know that song. Some of you know that, right? It's just, you know, it's just like, what? Yeah, that's right. And not, that, that sister, she's singing, she's speaking truth. Like, well, I mean, this is supposed to be fashion. And yet it become a, a culprit of misogyny and self-hatred when journalism it's, itself becomes, simply becomes mere entertainment for the cynic. What do we do? You'll be tempted to call down threats, to take revenge, to get together with those who are like-minded. Let, let, let's, 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 let's take this thing down. You know, but, uh, we're going to hurt them, hit them where it hurts. You will need friends who will remind you that this is not the time to become fearful. This is not the time to become violent. This is not the time to throw in the towel. You will need friends who will remind you that God proved his love for us and for this world by sending his son who gave his life away. It is through those friends that you can go into these good places that sin has corrupted and twisted. You can go into these places and you can suffer with the tensions that are there so that the kingdom is proclaimed and many are healed. That is what is possible for us as we stand with Jesus and true spiritual friends. If we're going to be bold and loving people who renew the world in the face of fear and in the face of bitterness. We need friends who know something of God's identity, of God's will, and also his heart. Which is to say simply, we need friends who know God. Not, not know about him. Have a living relationship with the Heavenly Father. And those who know how to pray to him with boldness, right? You, you heard the call from our brother this morning, right? Come on out Wednesday, right? Or the worship night, and, uh, but it, even if you can't make it there, just continue to pray in your own homes and in, in your community groups and uh, uh, even during your lunch break or when you're going for a walk or like myself, like I often pray as I'm commuting because I've got about 30, 40 minutes when I'm like driving to work. So a perfect time for prayer. Like, you know, so it's like, okay, I mean, remain committed, right? Yeah, we are praying instead of road rage, right? It's just, <laughs> that's good. Um, but, but those who know God pray to him with boldness, which is exactly what Peter and John's friends did. They prayed, and they prayed with boldness. So I think maybe there are two more questions in my mind that remain for our time together this morning. First one, how do we get friends like the apostles had? How do we get friends like Peter and John had? And, and some of you have those friends. Praise God. So, like, if we had a chance to talk to each other after the service, like, you might be able to, somebody might be like, hey, how do I get friends like that? And you might just jump right in there and be like, well, this is what, you know, this is kind of how the Lord did it for me. And maybe it'll happen for you, right? It might be a different way. But, but I want to suggest a couple of things just real briefly, and I think these are fairly easy maybe, um, but connect within your church, right? I mean, you already heard, but the life of Christ Central, there are all these different ways, opportunities. That, that's what the programs are for, right? To facilitate these relationships, not to do program for program's sake. They go, oh, look at us. We got all these fancy programs, and this awesome? 
No, like we're, we're, we're trying to like make avenues for, for, for the, the water of life, the life of Jesus to flow through us as a community. That's what we're doing, right? We're, we're, we're digging out the trenches with these programs so that as we go there, we can drink because that water is coming through. Come and get. Aren't you thirsty? Don't you need friends to connect with? And that's why, that's why you have these programs that are there because oh, it's just hard for me to do it by myself. Hey, look, your church is making a way for you. Come on. Right, so, um, and, and then there's like, I, I, you know, some of you already noticed, like even today, there are probably some community groups that are gathering after the worship service. Go ahead and invite yourself. Send a quick text message. Like, don't wait. You don't have to wait for an invitation. It's fine. Look, I just gave it an invitation, okay? I just gave it an invitation. There it is, <laughs> right? Now go, <laughs> okay? Um, go on, get yourself a snack, eat up people's stuff in the house, drink all the Kool-Aid, whatever. You know, like, who drank all the Kool-Aid? Okay, I can't go further with that joke. But um, so, <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> Lord, excuse me. All right, so, um, but thank you. So, all right, so I already mentioned, like, the community groups. Well, we did, we have, like, our learning communities are coming back, right? You already heard about some of the Bible studies and things of that nature. Those things are being revived. But we also have ministry teams, right? One of the best ways to get to know other people is to join others in service. You know, whatever fits your schedule, of course. I mean, you've got to look at what's going on in your life, have some sense of what your time looks like. Um, but, you know, there's a way to sort of reorder that what you don't want to do, and I've learned this from my brother John Mark Comer in his book, um, the, uh, 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 oh gosh, I just forgot the, the title of it. Um, help me out, Pastor Josh. What, are, what is it? What is that we're reading again? The, um, <laughs> they're uh, not relentless. I always want to say relentless. They're ruthless elimination of hurry. Thank you. But yeah, yeah. So like in that in that book, one of the things he talks about is like it's the, the solution for us is we think about making time to develop the and cultivate these friendships. The solution isn't to get more time; it's to reorder the time that we already have. Like each of us only has 24 hours each day. Like, you're not getting any more, sorry. Like, it's just not going to happen, right? Um, and even if you did get more time, what you probably would do is just fill it up with more stuff, right? With things that aren't essential. Right? Uh, and then you find yourself in the, in the same issue. Um, and you fill it up with other things, but I'm going to get into those details. However, all that just to say that um, you may need to look at some of, you know, look at when these ministry teams are meeting or look at when community groups are meeting or uh, certain events that are going on in our church, when is that happening? And just look at your schedule and go, okay, let me, I'm gonna make the sacrifice, right? I'm gonna give up you know, a little bit of time with Netflix. You know, I've been watching this series, I've been binging on so-and-so, this is finally my time to catch up on so-and-so on Amazon Prime, you know, this is finally the, you know what, why don't you just you know, let that go and go on ahead and come on out on that Wednesday or whatever it is, right? And get to know some people and connect with others. And maybe God will provide you with some of these spiritual friends in your life, right? And you can even get to know some friends. This is, again, just going with the whole theme of just inviting yourself. I mean, why not? Those of you who have been at Christ Central for a long time, you know, we just invite ourselves to, to places. I mean, it's just, it's just part of our culture, right? Just, we just show up, um, which is great. Um, you know, and get to, get to know some folks. See if they know the Lord. Um, by start, like, asking people out for, you know, a cup of coffee or, or tea or whatever it is, right? And some of you, if you're okay with happy hour, that's all right. And others, you know, you prefer not to do that, that's fine. You don't have to be, 
you know, a happy hour. Maybe it's a sports night, or maybe you're like, hey, I'm doing some yoga. Um, I do this thing over here, right? Our, the communities that this church is surrounded by right now is, has so much, right? So many different third spaces and places where you can gather with other people, right? And I'm not just talking about Plaza Midwood, which has a lot of the fancy stuff, right? Which is like stuff, I'm, I'm not mad at that. I like it. Like, I, I go down to Legion and Undercurrent and all that stuff, like, you know, and all that stuff. It's just like, it's awesome. But you, you know, but you also got like the nice little Ethiopian spot right over here, and you got three amigos, and you got the coffee spot right around the corner here. I mean, there's stuff in East Charlotte and going more toward uptown, right? I mean, support these businesses. Let me just say that, right? Just stay local, support them. All right. Um, but, you know, but um, so, so if you're going to these different places, why not invite somebody else? Like, hey, what are you doing after church? Just, let's just go. I'm being super practical here, hopefully, right? So I'm just saying this is different ways that you can get to try to get these friends that the apostles had. But the other question, I said the two questions I'm thinking of, right? The other question is a little bit harder, which is how do I become that kind of friend that the apostles had? How do I become that kind of friend? How do I become a kind of friend that every other follower of Jesus needs? Because we could walk away from this text this morning and the things that have been said, uh, feeling condemned, feeling a little helpless, you know, feeling weighed down, like, man, I've been a terrible friend. You know, I've actually been sucked into uh, the lies about God, you know, just believing that, it's, you know, um, as in Tom and Jerry, they say, it's just us chickens in here, you know, just, you know, it's just us, right? I just, just believe it's just the material world. There's, there's no God. Maybe I've, been, maybe I've kind of lived that way. Maybe I have supported uh, uh, others and, and as they've wanted to be vengeful and to take revenge on other people. Maybe I've been there, and, I, and uh, maybe I was silent or I actively supported it. What a terrible friend that I've been. So how do you become a friend like the ones that, Peter and John had? Well, then, I would say for the answer, look again to Peter and John. In an hour of need, they went to their friends asking for prayer, right? Brother Derek was right. Well, that's coming back to prayer. Right? Just, they, they asked for prayer. They learned this from Jesus, didn't they? Was it not Jesus who prevailed upon them in the Garden of Gethsemane to pray for him in his darkest hour? Was it not Peter and John, along with the other nine disciples, who went to sleep instead of enduring a little bit of fatigue for the one who gives them breath? Was it not for Peter and John that Jesus went to the cross without a friend? Wasn't it for you? Behold then the, the risen Jesus, the one, who, the one who conquered sin, death, and the grave and is seated at God's right hand, interceding for you in your trials and weaknesses every single day. What a friend we have in Jesus, the song says, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything, everything, everything to God in prayer. Right. Let the bold love of Jesus drop way down into your heart and let the Spirit shake you as you recall God's great love for you in Jesus. And as you come to experience God's infinite love for you through his Son, 
during the week, and even in this Sunday moment, you will begin to discover a desire that is welling up within you to proclaim his kingdom and to share his healing with others, even if it means a little discomfort for you. This is what the world needs. Right? These spiritual friendships are not just for us, it's also for the world. That we would be shaken by the Holy Spirit and become friends and be friends for the life of the world. That is the vision. Are you ready? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a friend we have in Jesus. All of our sins and our griefs to bear. Lord, we thank you that you have given to us one who, who, who knows and sympathizes with every weakness in our lives. The struggle is real, God. There are things that we, we can't even confess out loud right now because we might just break down. And, but, but Lord, you know our hearts. You search the innermost place. You know us. And God, you know how much we need friends who will stand with us. As we try to bear witness to your resurrection, to your power, to your love, to your justice. And God, you, because of your work and your grace toward us, we want to do it. We want to do it, but the, the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. So Lord, would you visit us with your Holy Spirit and empower us. And we ask God that you would do it according to your word, which also tells us that we need not just try to gain strength from you on our own, but also through other people that you have given to us, true and deep friendships that you want us to cultivate. Father, would you help us to examine our lives, help us to examine our schedules, and to see have we crowded out time for friends? Have, have we elevated work above relationships? Have we, have we just elevated a bunch of other things above, above others? And and, and hence, pushing out the very things that we need, God, to live the life that you have called us to live. God, we thank you that you are more zealous for our transformation than we could ever be. So, Lord, as you pursue us, even now in this hour, help us to stop wrestling and to surrender. Take hold of us, Lord. Show us what we need to do even today so that you can live more fully and truly in us and through us and through the friends that you want us to have for the life of the world. And Lord God, as we do it, not because we are good, but because you are so good, would you allow us to witness your healing power being extended in our small circles because of our commitment to you through making these friends and building up one another all because of who you are, because of your plan, and because of your great love for us. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen.